Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, we are facing extreme censorship alongside many other truth seekers out there. If you want to support this show, please go over to mattbelair.com and sign up for the email list. Become a member for exclusive and censorship-free content by donation or for free. And most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is a filmmaker and photographer who aims to connect the dots in the bigger picture through his work. In 2017, he embarked on his documentary project, Uncivilized, which would lead him into the forests of Dominica, where he would eventually face Hurricane Maria alone in the forest in a palm leaf and bamboo hut. Welcome to the show, Michael Lees. Hi, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Man, I don't know if there can be uh, any other shorter and more intense <laughs> buildup to a podcast. Uh, we were saying before we dove in, like I was able to see the trailer and I'm, su- I'm so looking forward to seeing the whole thing. And I could see the hurricane coming in and like your, your buddy was letting you know it was coming. You're middle of a forest. Like, yeah, I'm going to go out here. I'm going to connect with nature. And the nature is like, boom, hurricane. You're like, oh God. <laughs> so I would just leave it at that. I think it's wild, man. I'm excited to get into this story and uh, would just love for you to share a little bit about yourself your background what inspired you to um you know do that trip and and obviously get into the story cool cool cool. let me see if i can that's a lot of things if i I deviate just put me back on track you got it um so where did it start i my parents moved from england to dominica when i was young dominica is this little um caribbean island uh very sort of natural a lot of forest rivers everything and then i also went to school in the states and I think from being between these worlds and, you know, having the quote unquote developed world and the developing world, and, you know, there's always sort of value judgments against each and where you're supposed to want to be and want to go. But over time, also seeing, um, I guess, some really deep aspects of life that seemed that we had right here in Dominica, even though we lacked a lot of sort of the material development side. And then on top of that, obviously having this um, climate change crisis going on and just sort of having this, these existential thoughts about, you know, are we, are we gonna survive as a species? What do we do? We, uh, does it make sense to have kids? All this kind of stuff. And having this idea that maybe if we could have seen right back in the, in the very beginning of like human evolution, if we could have been happy with everything that we had and not kept on wanting more, maybe we could have sort of avoided the the mess of a situation that we're in now. So my plan was in a way to sort of try and recreate and relive that. Originally, I wanted to do it with a small group. That didn't work out. So I ended up doing it on my own. And that also then uh, left space for a, a bit more spiritual work as well, being alone. So I brought the Gita with me. I brought Buddhist scripture and I read the Bible for the very first time while I was out there and also did a sort of like, cut off of sensory pleasures and inputs and meditating and all of that stuff. And, and the plan was originally to do six months, but as you, you mentioned, uh, halfway through Hurricane Maria, which was a category five hurricane, um, tore through and just changed up all the plans. That is, that is bonkers. Well, I love the initiative and uh, the intention behind it. You know, I did something similar, which wasn't as intense, but, um, you know, stayed basically three months in a koala habitat in this hippie camper. Um, you know, I was able to kind of get access to a city, um, but connecting with nature and just having that intention, I think is really, really powerful. So, um, well, why don't you just describe what it was like at first and like where you were, how far were you from civilization? What did you have for like a safety net? Like kind of give us a little bit yeah, of description yeah, yeah. and then, uh, yeah, walk into what happened when, when, uh, the storm started coming in and, and what you did. So Dominica is most of the populations on the West coast, all the, the center of it is pretty much like mountains and forests. And then on the East coast, there's some small villages and a lot of like sort of farming area. So I was between like central and east coast by walking the closest village probably would have been maybe two hours or so. And then in the valley I was in, there was uh, there's an eco lodge or one or two little houses in the in the valley. And then I was probably about half an hour like 
from being in that valley than off across the river on a little islet um, in the forest. Um, what was your next question? I, I don't oh, know what, I it, I... what it was like, sort of the, the connection with nature and what the beginning was like. Yeah. Um, so really fun, interesting, challenging. Um, I think you learn a lot. I mean, I had, I had nights where, you know, I built a little lean-to um, just out of sticks and palm leaves and stuff like that. But then there would be times where it would leak or you had to, I had to, there was one that I had to take things apart and I didn't have time to patch it back up by the end of the night and it poured raining. And so I ended up getting absolutely soaked. I spent the night like kneeling because if I lay down, it was too muddy and too wet. And, uh, you know, just kind of like kneeling with my head on the ground. Um, but even that, that was kind of one of the worst nights. But um, basically get sort of have this mind shift, mindset shift, realizing at first you're like, all right, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. And then you're like, okay, this is actually really not that bad. I chose to be here. I'm wet and I'm uncomfortable, but that's about it. And just sort of realizing nothing is, nothing is really that big of a deal, um, which I think was a perfect kind of setup for when the hurricane came. But other, other than sort of the hardships, I think it was also really great kind of plugging back into the world you know, in our regular lives, we sort of live separated from the world. We're able to be detached from it in our sort of our human landscapes. And so to plug back in, realize that the whole thing is like a living matrix and there's a space for you in it, just like everything else and everything works um, in relation to each other, not always in harmony. I mean, there's also this predation, there's killing, you know what I mean? But just understanding that sort of greater connection and web, um, I think is a very, humbling and fulfilling experience. That's beautiful. And I definitely want to dive into that. Um, I'm kind of curious too, though, because I've been looking a lot more into kind of survival stuff. And um, I'm, I've always been an outdoor person, but my knowledge is very minimal. When you were doing this, did you bring food with you? Or like, what did you set yourself up with? What did you have as far as like amenities or creature comforts or how, how uh, minimal did you go about this? Right. So originally I wanted to do it like straight stone age style. Like that's <laughs> yeah. only kind of tools I would, I would use were tools that could have been found like 10,000 years ago. Um, unfortunately the kind of courses I would have needed to take didn't quite materialize. So I had to make some um, compromises. But what I did do is I, I had some basic knowledge of, of fishing before. I, we have actually, we still have an indigenous population here in Dominica that didn't get wiped out. And so I was able to, um, go and work with them and learn how to make like a fish trap, fish pot, that kind of stuff. Um, I brought basically a machete, a knife, um, a, I brought dry bags for my camera equipment and stuff and a solar panel. Um, I did have a cell phone that only my parents basically had a number for. That was kind of our compromise of a lifeline. And then I also had a like, it was like the satellite beacon thing, mostly for um, people who are at sea. So if you get lost, you pull this thing and it has like your G it gives you a GPS location. Um, other than that, there was no tent. I decided I didn't want to go to the tent, no pots or anything like that. If I boiled anything, I would make it out of, I made like a pot out of bamboo as it's already hollow um, and just like grilled stuff straight over the fire. I did bring a lighter. That was a big, a big, um, a big one. Uh, but, you know, it's amazing. There's actually like sap in Dominica, this um, gamier sap that's highly flammable. So even though so much of the wood is wet and the forest is so damp, you can use this sap to really get a fire going. And there's lots of little things like that around um, that can help. Also the spot I was at, I'd scoped out a little bit before and there were coconut trees and there was also like a, uh, leftover abandoned dashin. Dashin is like a root crop, also known as like taro, um, like sort of just like a swampy area where there's some of that growing. So I knew that I would have some staples and then um, fish, crab, river snail, crayfish. That was, and, and then little bits of fruit and stuff. Yeah. 
Wow, that's amazing. So you went out there and you had a few tools, but you were basically like, I'm going to be able to survive off the land. Like it was, it was bountiful enough and you had a little bit of knowledge. And so was food easy with that? Like you were, you were okay with what you could catch and what you could find? Yeah. So I was never, I was never like starving, but you do realize that in that sort of lifestyle, a good amount of your day just gets spent on um, trying to get the calories. And then especially with, with, fishing or anything like that like it would be I wouldn't have a fire every single day because it was so damp it was a pain in the ass to get it done each time <laughs> so I'd probably do it like two or three times a week and so then I had to maximize it so in that day I would make sure that I caught crabs I caught fish and I got river snails and then by the by the time I would get the fire catch everything get the fire going and eat that it was it was nightfall <laughs> so <laughs> There was, I think there, there was enough, but at the same time, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it takes a lot of your time. And I would say one thing that I, I thought of, even when I conceptualized this, was that different to like Into the Wild, where the guy tried to do it in Alaska, I was like, I'm in the tropics. And by all accounts, it seems like life, life kind of started in the tropics and there is, it is a lot easier. There's a lot more food. You don't have to worry about the, um, the temperature, the cold or anything like that. So I was like, you know, I think this is possible. This is doable. And uh, yeah, it was. That's amazing, man. Well, you know, I, I want to go into some of the things like, you know, what were some of your most valuable lessons and maybe some of the challenges you didn't see, but do you think it's uh, a better idea to talk about uh, the experience in the hurricane coming in and then diving into those questions? Or do you kind of want to get into that context before? I'd say let's go, let's go with it before. Okay. Yeah. So my, my question would be, you know, what, what were your biggest lessons? Like, what, did you find anything more challenging than you would have thought? Obviously the hurricane coming would, would probably be a major challenge, but just the, the, the life, the solitude, uh, the reading of the text, like, did you have any big aha moments? Like what were the biggest um, insights that you took away or were there any challenges that, that surprised you a little bit? Mm -hmm. I think the, maybe the biggest insights besides what I said earlier, where, you know, just realizing that nothing is really a catastrophe and most of that is, is mental. Also in terms of, you know, searching, looking for like, what is sort of, what, where does that sort of like joy and fulfillment come from and finding it, finding that it was basically so simple and it was really like these aha moments. And one that I can think of was just like after spending a good amount of the day, like doing manual stuff, I had one pawpaw or papaya and that was going to be my lunch and just sitting on a log over the river and cutting this thing open and eating it and eating it in a way that wasn't like greedy scoffing it down but also not in a way like trying to preserve it it was just sort of like being perfectly present and doing it and it was just like in that moment it's like everything just opens up and you're just like aha like it's just sort of like having a moment of perfect presence opens up sort of the entire world and again getting those glimpses in the forest was uh, I think great especially then having to transition from that into the hardships of post-hurricane life, but still in that space, in that quiet, still having the, the opportunity to have those moments, even when sort of everything had fallen apart. Wow. Yeah, man, that's amazing. Well, I guess what I'd like to ask is how would you transfer that insight into somebody who is, you know, in, in the Western world, USA, Canada, you know, because we're, those really visceral experiences, you know, you're talking about joy and fulfillment and presence. They sound great. People hear the words and they, mm -hmm. they say, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Um, but it's really hard to embody or integrate that experience if you don't have it. You know, for me and mm -hmm. my travels doing some of the things that I've done, it's when you're in it, it's it's it really integrates into the cells, you know, and you're able to kind of um, put some words around it, but the experience is really powerful. So um, what would you... I guess, how would you offer that information as far as an insight to somebody who is kind of in the Western world? How might they be able to apply it? Yeah, well, I know one of the, one of my favorite experiences and was maybe one of the first glimpses into that was doing a backpacking trip in North Carolina out in the Appalachian Mountains. And even no matter where you are in the States, you know, 
even if you're in New York City, it's not that far to get out of the city um, for a day or two. And I think just even, even going for a, sort of a couple of days away from your cell phone and sort of the, the chatter of daily life and social media and everything else and being out in nature and having both tuning into all the sounds and the feelings and, and textures and experiences there, but also the silence and being able to sit with that. I think that is, I think that's a, a great way to be able to get a taste of it. Um, I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. As far as the strategy goes, for sure. I feel like, it, you know, the social media detox is, is so important. And um, so many people are deprived of nature, you know, just actual yeah. silence. And even when people go away on camping or um, a cottage trip or something, often they're still watching TV, they're watching movies, they're plugged yeah. into an yeah, internet, yeah, they're not yeah. really uh, connecting. So I think that connecting with nature is something that is an incredibly powerful experience because people you know we're not alone with our thoughts we're not alone with exactly. the quiet you know so i think it's a yeah really really great um suggestion so why don't we get into a little bit of uh you know the hurricane like how did yeah. this, so, so what was it like before you're you're there you're kind of in a groove you know you, you you have an understanding of what's going on you're reading the spiritual texts and kind of going through the process and then you know what happens like did you notice like did you get the phone call first or walk us through that yeah, so I had, for, for Maria, I'm not sure if I got a, a, a message or a call. I think I got a message previously about one of the storms before, which missed us and ended up hitting um, some of the islands a little north of us. I think St. Martin got hit pretty bad by Hurricane Irma. So then it was like Hurricane Maria, which wasn't a hurricane yet, was on its way. Um, and it was, I think it was only that day, a friend who knew where I was came out to warn me that like a category one or two hurricane was on its way and I was like I thought about it I try to like run the calculations in my head with like he's telling me certain wind speeds and I'm like okay what does that really mean this is air we're <laughs> out in the forest what does this mean <laughs> and I was like you know I think that I will be able to weather this again this is from a naive who's never experienced like a full-on hurricane um, <laughs> And I basically set about reinforcing my structure, which everyone laughs at when they see what I did was basically pick up heavy, like um, coconut palm fronds <laughs> and basically weigh down my shelter with that. That was my, my reinforcement. <laughs> and I was like, all right, we're good to go. Go and fill up, um, you know, my, my water bottles and stuff before the rivers get dirty and then kind of sit tight and, and see what's, what's going to happen. And like I said, part of it also is, you know, this whole thing is about living with nature. So I also was like, I don't want to just leave now that nature, nature is also happening in the form of a hurricane and say, okay, I don't like this part of nature. So I was like, all right, this is all in sync. I'm going to continue with this. And so I don't know, probably by about early in the afternoon, I was hunkered down waiting for this thing to come. And all day, it's just, it's weirdly still but like nothing is really coming. And at a certain point, I'm just like wondering if they've got the predictions wrong, if this thing is gonna miss us again. And then it was like pretty much as nightfall came, like it started to pick up. And it really felt like the calm before, like before like a great concert or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, so as night falls, like the, the rain starts coming down more and more. You start hearing the wind, it's not, coming through too heavily where I am, but you can sort of hear it roaring around in the distance. Um, and then as it keeps raining, obviously the, you can hear the river has swollen and you can hear boulders being tossed down the river. Um, and I guess, I don't know what time it was in the night, but the wind just obviously keeps getting stronger and stronger. And then it would get to this sort of point where it would roar through. And for a couple seconds, the vines, I'd shine my little light out and this, I'm in an open face like hut with a, a four post bamboo roof over this. Um, the wind would come through. I'd see the vines go from hanging down to hanging parallel with the ground. And then if that stayed for more than a couple seconds, that's when I just start hearing crack, crack, crack of trees. And that was the really terrifying moments. It's in those moments, you just kind of like got your hand up like this because it, it's pitch dark. You have no idea what direction things are falling. So it's just like, ah, hold it on. And then it passes and you're like, okay, I'm good. Everything's good. Everything's good. I'm fine. 
Um, but yeah, at a certain point, you know, this is happening. The trees are falling around, you know, this slats of my bamboo thing are, are falling off and it just gets to the point where you're like okay man I really may have miscalculated this <laughs> like I am not I kept saying like I wasn't afraid to die but this would probably be quite a stupid way to do it I think all the all the all the um spiritual readings and stuff got me had me quite prepared but at the same time I was like this is going to be a dumb way to die and everyone is going to be mad at me <laughs> for doing this. <laughs> um, like, I just like apologize to everyone. And then really interesting. Yeah. There is also this moment where of having like a, a quick life review and it was like weird enough that it was only the positive things. Like as every person, we've all had a lot of negative things happen in our lives as well. But in that, brief sort of life review it was just like gratitude for all the people and experiences that had made my life what it was up to that point saying thank you pretty much surrendering to what was going to happen and just holding on and eventually what happened was a tree that i had been worried about that was kind of close it ended up coming down the trunk missed my hut but the branch came straight on top of it. It was big enough that it collapsed the whole thing sort of down to just like a few feet off of the ground. And in a way, I, I didn't get hurt at all, no scratches or anything, but it pinned everything down. So I wasn't going to blow away. And at that point, I sort of knew, all right, like I'm safe. I'm not going to blow away. Nothing else can sort of fall on me. And um, I think I honestly like passed out from exhaustion before the hurricane was even over under um <laughs> under the rubble of my hut basically <laughs> oh my god that's nuts so so how long did it last in total was it one night like maybe from midnight to 6 a.m or something like that and so you're like you're stressing out wondering if you're gonna get died i'd be worried about getting sucked up into it um like uh geez what the heck is that movie wizard of oz um, yeah yeah my yeah fear would be as like oh, i don't want to be one of those cows <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. So it squishes your hut down and then you're like, okay, cool. I'm safe under here. Like, you know, at least I can crawl out later when this thing is over. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, it, and it's so funny, like the context you have at the time, because I re-listened to some of the footage and I hear myself saying, oh, it's so calm now. And I can still hear the wind <laughs> roaring through, but like in comparison. And I would also say that being in a forest, people underestimate actually how much uh, the, the, the forest serves as a windbreak. And so when I tell people that I was in a palm leaf hut, and, and people experience it in their homes, they can't believe that I survived it. But it is very different having that sort of windbreak where whereas they were getting pummeled 24 seven during the night, for me, it was more like these, these gusts that they would, if they finally made it all the way through the windbreak, then I would really like feel it and have to hold on. But other than that, um, yeah, quite a different experience. But yeah, so as the next day, you know, I am, and I luckily filmed all of this, like crawling out from under the rubble and just in complete shock because Dominica, I've been under the forest canopy all this time. Dominica is this like lush green place, like everywhere you look is just like trees and forests and stepped out the next day and it looked like a bomb went off. Like there was not a single leaf left on a single tree. And like, that's not even an exaggeration. Like it looked like a bomb had gone off or it looked like, you know, one of those scenes after someone's got napalmed in those Vietnam movies. Um, and I think I just, I cried immediately just as like a, a reaction, a gut reaction to just like, oh my God, I've never seen so much devastation um, happen. And even like walking through the forest, you'd find like birds and stuff still alive, but completely stunned, just like walking around the forest floor, like what the hell just happened? Um, and so, yeah, when I came out, I had to decide, well, the night before I was trying to decide, do I continue with my project? Do I go home? As soon as I stepped out the next day, it became quite clear. I needed to go home, make sure my parents are alive. Like there's no forest left to do any kind of forest project. Um, so my goal was to make it to the eco lodge, which was in the same valley. But of course the rivers were still swollen. So I spent, I you know made my trek to the forest and then the river that I needed to cross, I spent all day going up and down but I couldn't find an opening, it was too swollen. And all I could think of was McCandless and into the wild, just getting swept away by the river. And I was like, again, not trying to make completely reckless decisions. So I ended up sleeping on a coconut tree in the rain 
like a fallen coconut tree. I ended up sleeping on it in the rain overnight and then crossing the next day. Next day, I made it to um, this eco lodge. And funny enough, it was probably the best we had it after Maria because they had solar power. They had um, fresh water sources. There's fresh food um, around the farm. Uh, there's already rum and weed and everything else you could want. Um, so yeah, pretty much like we was living there for a week with the people there kind of isolated for everything else, waiting to hear, um, you know, when the roads are clear and if it's safe to sort of travel. I, you always hear, you know, it's better to stay put rather than just like start wandering off and then find yourself stuck in the middle of the island, no food, no way to go. So I was there for about a week and then I made the journey across the country to get back home. Um, it could have taken a long, long time. I probably walked for about three hours and then managed to catch rides all the way, the rest of the way up. Um, and then from there, it was like maybe three to six months of no electricity, no running water, no internet. Um, for a shorter period of time, also no supermarkets, no banks, no anything. So it's this bizarre thing where I've been living this like off-grid experience in the forest. And now all of a sudden it translates directly to real life. It's, it felt like I had just been preparing um, for this. Uh, of course, our, our roof at home, the, the wood of the ceiling stayed, but we had these like asphalt roof tiles. All of those peeled off. So every single time it rained, water was pouring through. Um, you had to just, I mean, you had to sleep wet with tarpaulins and buckets and mopping up and scooping up water every time it rained until you could get around to doing stuff. But one of the, the cool things I think was because we are a country that had not separated so much from nature and people still knew how to wash in the river and how to preserve foods through um, smoking it and salting it um, and we still had root crops and stuff even though we, we were in this sort of like hardship moment we still had everything we needed to survive I'm not going to say it was easy again just like in the forest it's like your whole day goes into survival but in most of the places you could do it. And that is not something that I can imagine um, being possible in a lot of countries and cities. Holy crap. Yeah. Wow. That sounds, that sounds intense. Well, I like the idea of um, still being connected to nature as a community. I feel like with everything that's going on in the world, that's a lot of the discussions that are happening, going back to community farming, different things. Like how, mm -hmm. how do we actually uh, survive and maintain, you know what I mean? Like, because we're, we're in this artificial system and this artificial system is, is basically collapsing all around us, um, at an accelerated rate. And we've all lost our connection to nature, our food. We don't know where it comes from. It's all processed yeah. nonsense. Um, what was the spirit of the community like after this? Was it, was it sadness? Was it collaboration? Like what, what was the, the spirit as you guys endured this and how long did that go on for before you got back to maybe some normalcy or, or some creature comforts? Yeah, I would say there's a mix. There's sort of a mix of reactions. And that was something interesting for me thinking about like man in nature versus man under some sort of like governmental authority or system. So right when it happened, um, there was actually a good amount of looting. So there was looting both for food, but also just for consumer electronics and whatever, because all of a sudden it's like the rule of law is gone and it's a free for all. And so maybe equality imbalances that exist in a more society structure, all of a sudden in, in ways, it's as if people are trying to correct that or rebalance that. Um, and while that element did happen, I would say that overall there was a great spirit of cooperation. Um, especially in the in the like smaller village communities outside of the main town but even there and so it kind of you go back to this almost like barter type system um, I remember going and checking up on a friend and and his parents and someone had given her a bunch of um, smoked chicken again that was the only way you'd be able to keep uh, meat preserved and she gave me uh, a bunch of that and we ended up getting water for some people 
and other people gave us tarpaulins. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting seeing what happens when a system sort of breaks down. Um, and you get all, I think you get all flavors. I think that in a place where there's still, there is a history of cooperation and community and um, connection to the land, those things come back. I'm curious, I've had some discussions with friends and I'm, we're curious about in countries where all of that is lost, when a system collapses, will that sort of cooperation re-emerge as quickly or does it get quite wild west and tribal um, immediately after? And I think that's just, that also just kind of leads into this bigger question of if we are in this system that is not working and will eventually collapse or we can see the potential for it to collapse, do we accelerate towards this collapse so something else can be built up or do we worry that just like in, in many countries that become failed states, that once they become a failed state, it takes a long, long time for them to get back up on their feet. And there's a lot of suffering and violence that happens in between that time. And so do we work towards trying to fix the system before it fails? Or do we say, you know what, it's a failed system and as much suffering as there's gonna be, this is the only way to go forward. I'd be curious what, what you might think about that. Well, I think that those are great questions and insights. Um, I think it's what the planet is going, going through right now. Um, ideally, when you are in a system that is, uh, let's say, sick or broken, you know, and I think that's uh, the system we're in, you know, our healthcare mm -hmm. system is more like a death care system. Um, our media is toxic. Uh, the banks, you know, we have the modern yeah. slavery is, is the banking system and how corrupt it is. And we're, we know that from Wall Street. We also know, you know, that very few people run all the banks in the world. I think yeah. uh, it's only three countries that don't run on the Rockefeller banking system. And, you know, people are working two jobs just to get by, um, you know, and I've seen some heartbreaking videos through coronavirus and things like that. And you make a, a really great point because we have become so disconnected that if it were to go away, we don't know what to do. Most of us, the bigger mm -hmm. the city, the more disconnected from the land, from the way of life. And so it's not like something that we can really easily integrate into. I do see a massive movement of migration towards uh, states and places that are more community based. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you're correct in your observation where the city might have been a little bit more um, intense, right? They're probably a little bit more into that way of living. And then the communities and the cultures and the outskirts, right? A little bit more rural. Well, they yep. live off the land. They know how to, you know, food, water, shelter, that kind of thing. And they require the cooperation to um, make their life a little bit easier to get the things that they need. And, and it's just a, a nicer way to live. And in the system that we're in, it's more like you just go buy it. You go work this right. job to get those money coupons and then you just go buy it. Somebody does it for you, right? Somebody right. grabs your food, somebody, everything does it. Everybody does it for you. And you just sacrifice all of your time for that right. convenience. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really powerful thing to consider because this is what we are going through right now um, almost as a, as a planet. And the way that we get through this is through community, right? At first, you experience that materialism. I'm going to get some electronics. Well, that person, you know, if they get a little bit harder up on food, they're going to be like, all right, I'm going to trade this stupid VCR, yeah. <laughs> whatever it yeah. is, not DVD players for like, you know, a few potatoes or smoked chickens or whatever. And yeah. then ideally that person will be like, all right, well, look, I'm going to teach you how to do this because you know, this isn't going to, this isn't going to last. And so, yeah, yeah I think that's a, an incredibly powerful experience. And and what it, do you have like, um, I don't know, grandparents or elders in that kind of way that are, that are teaching these things? Because I've, I've done a lot of podcasts with uh, Native Americans. And, um, you know, one of the things that makes me sad is that, you know, passing down this knowledge has really been uh, stinted with the school systems in, in USA and Canada and, and some of the things we did there. So um, when, when, you know, even like with fixing the house for me, I don't know very much. I need to learn all this mm -hmm. stuff. You know, it's very valuable mm -hmm. stuff, but I'm not very handy, but I would like to know. So you need somebody who can show you those ways. And so I was curious if, if uh, that's what it was like, you know, had the grandparents or parents that could kind of remember how to do these things and the kids, you know, kind of like useless, or like, all right, cool. I'm going to start learning yeah. all this stuff. I mean, that, so that was, like I said, so Dominica only like got its independence in the seventies and, and things like, uh, running water and electricity 
widespread of, through the island. It was only like a generation ago. So there are plenty of people, both parents and grandparents, that, it, that even like I interviewed and stuff, that are telling me, yeah, this is how we did it when I was a kid. And so what's interesting is if that hurricane hadn't happened, or if a hurricane hadn't happened in this generation's life, maybe we forget those things. But because this happens, now all of us, all of the younger folk, see the value in, in all of this, all, all the things they were doing before. We understand why they did it and we understand how to do it. Um, so in, in that sense, kind of these hardships actually keep that knowledge going. I do think it is important to try and document a lot of these things. Even when I went to the, the Kalinago territory, which is where the indigenous people live, you know, asking how to make certain traditional things out of natural materials, some of that has been lost just because, um, for instance, like making a fish pot out of um, dried reeds is so much more time consuming than making it out of wire that even the traditional, a lot of the sort of the tradition has moved on to the wire. But I was always thinking about what would you do before the wire and what do you do if sort of like a global economy shuts down and you have to rely solely on the materials um, you have. So I definitely think there's importance in documenting those things. I should also mention what you just brought up reminded me as well. Part of the original sort of like idea of going into doing this project was also like many people feeling like trapped by the system and feeling like you have to just keep working to keep on surviving. And then being like, I wonder, can you live outside of the system? Could you get by if you, if you, I mean, you have to make sacrifices, but if you wanted to stop working nine to five, could you go and just pretty much go and live off of the land? And I think to me, the answer was yes, um, definitely sacrifice is not gonna sugarcoat it. And you definitely lose, uh, obviously if, you, if you're doing solely that and you don't have money in the society, then you lose a certain amount of power and purchasing power and opportunities, but other ones also arise. And I also think it's interesting thinking about if things were to sort of collapse, what countries would be set up to survive? And Dominica is somewhere that as a developing place is always seen as, or referred to in ways like behind or backward. And yet, if something like that were to happen, as my parents would say, it's like this place is ahead of the curve. And then it makes you sort of think about the cyclical nature of time and progress and development. And from one perspective, you can look down the line and say, you know, that person is behind or ahead. And you can, again, look from the other side of the, the circle or the line and, and say the same thing about the guys on the other side. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And, and, like I was saying before, like this is what the, you know, the coronavirus is really making a lot of people wake up to and think because, um, you know, not everybody wants to get this needle in the arm, you know what I mean? Uh, they, right. they, they like that option. And now basically with, with the plan and the way they want to go with it is, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to go grocery shopping or go anywhere unless you have your, um, you know, your vaccination identity. And that's, that's the game. And so you're going to have to participate in this uh, system if you want to, you know, play that game. And so right. this this movement to get back toward nature and community and simplicity is is growing. And I love the idea of just collaborating, like you know, with you by yourself in the forest. That's one thing. That's one challenge. And if you add in, you know, a few friends, you know, ten or twenty people in the same way, over time you're going to be able to bring back those luxuries. You know what I mean? Everything's going to get a little bit mm -hmm. easier, yep. you know, food, water, shelter. And, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, you're sacrificing some of that, you know, first world entertainment, you know what I mean? Some mm -hmm. of that, um, those luxuries, but really you're also gaining so much more, you know what I mean? And, and you have a, I think you're going to have a clearer mind and also a clearer spirit, um, a more honest way of life. And it's funny because, you know, I would say that the, the, category of the show i put in spirituality because i love you know the bhagavad gita i've read i'm actually trying mm -hmm. to work my way through the 1611 king james bible because of uh cal washington and mark patelic little do i know it is the densest book ever it takes me like <laughs> 10 minutes to read a page it's 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 the thickest book i've yeah. ever had with the and, thinnest pages oh my god it's just insane uh, so I've always been curious about those, those teachings, you know, and actually interestingly in the Bhagavad Gita, um, you know, uh, Arjuna is going to war, 
right? Like he's, mm -hmm. he's like, I don't want to kill my friends and family. And we're seeing this divide right now. And, and somebody put a post I thought that was really good is like, you've got uh, people who are going to fight to take your rights away. And you have people that are just, they want their freedom and they're willing to defend their freedom. And uh, there's, yep. a, there's a quote by Rudolf Steiner that says, anything that seeks to restrict or bind by definition is Luciferian. And that's why I feel like this is a spiritual war. You can have different beliefs, that's okay. But if you're trying to bind me, if I must be bound by your belief, then you're trying to impose that on me. You know, that, that makes you an mm -hmm. oppressor. And I will defend my ability to, you know, have my own freedom and not cause you any harm and, and do all that kind of stuff. So it's a bit of a, I can't remember where I was gonna go with that, but it's a bit of a pickle we're in. Um, and it is, I can't remember where it's going. What do you think of that? I'll remember when yeah. you reply to what I was, to my rant. <laughs> yeah, well, so, so this is the sort of the interesting thing about freedom and let's say society or, or governance. Because as soon as you move away from, let's say, I want to live sort of off in the forest. So even Dominica is a fairly less restricted place than, than the States. But as soon as you sort of go into a society or a government, have a government, anything else like this, you automatically end up ceding certain freedoms, supposedly in exchange for other ones. Now, I think what's interesting is when that exchange feels like it is a fair exchange, everyone says, all right, I can't do this or I can't do that, but I can do this and I can do that. I think what's interesting right now is on top of, of coronavirus, you have all these sort of like long-standing inequalities built into the system that have sort of gone out of control through predatory capitalism and, and you know, big business essentially taking control of um, the government. And I think you have people on both sides sort of lashing out now against both the government and authority and sort of the status quo saying, even if we're not exactly sure what, what it is we exactly disagree with, what, we can, what it seems to be disagreed with is that there is something wrong. And I think even with the, the sort of the um, Capitol Hill insurrection, um, whether or not the, the sentiments are directed towards the right people or not, I think all of this is sort of just like all of that sentiment and energy finding an outlet somewhere. So I think it'll be, I think it'll be quite interesting to see what happens if further restrictions become imposed while wealth inequality continues to skew. I think that's a pretty dangerous situation if you're, if you're basically someone in governance in terms of like that could very easily lead to sort of uh, a lack of stability or basically people rising up and kind of again, accelerating this collapse and creating something new. And it all depends what side of the, of the, the conversation you're looking at this from, whether this is scary or exciting it does seem either way though that there is no sort of like going back to normal there is no more normal things have changed and things will continue to change yeah absolutely those are you know i really enjoyed what you said and and when you're giving the example i think the big difference in the us and canada and a lot of these western countries is if we would want to opt out of this, um, we don't have the option to go into a community or, or just right. bugger off because we've lost that connection. So right. if you take this away, then we're enforced almost into this system, right? It's like, okay, we want to just go off grid and, and especially in Canada and a lot of other places, it's actually quite challenging to do that. And so, you know, if we could just say, all right, we want to opt out. Um, it's, there's a lot of things that go along with that. And, and I think that you, say it well when you talk about predatory capitalism and things like that because you know the inequalities come from people being out of integrity you know when you're in a yeah. community um you know even the native american communities and the indigenous um you know you kind of know it's it's small enough that you can tell when people are ripping you off exactly you know I mean? and exactly. when you get right and you don't want to do that because you're bound you know in honor and everybody knows you right it's not going to last very long Right. Exactly. And in these big systems and these shadows and all these different things, they're setting up different uh, tools and ways to manipulate. And then it, it really crushes the everyday person, the middle class, the lower middle class. Um, and then they don't have another option. 
right? Yep. And so that really creates a lot of, um, you know, despair. And so I feel like the push to get back to a natural way for a lot of people is like, you know what, I would do that. You know, I would cooperate with other people to get food, water, shelter, um, to not have to deal with this because it's so fake and out of whack and, and imbalanced and, and, and you want something better, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so the importance of community is paramount, you know, like with wherever people right, right now, getting a good relationship with your family, uh, with your friends with your loved ones so that whatever happens, you can kind of adapt to, together and, and move forward. You know, I'd love to ask you, what do you hope that this uh, documentary does as far as like sharing a message? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, I think the timing of it is, is really great. And, um, and it, and it just parallels very well with what's happening in the world. You know, like yeah. you're in the forest to go by yourself, you come out and it's like this primitive way of living, but you know, we're facing those challenges, I think, as a global community right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think probably one is sort of raising that awareness that you can sort of find this like salvation and connection through nature, that we're not separate from it. And that if we learn to live with it, we can be better off and the world can be better off. Um, I think also that showing that even sort of in these challenging times, even after, you know, having everything destroyed by a category five hurricane, there were still these moments of joy that were attainable pretty much through presence, um, just being able to be present, um, at least again, being in a place where we, we had natural resources and we had community to rely on. Um, and I think also just really making people question this idea of progress and development and forwards and backwards, both on the scale of humanity and also in our sort of like individual lives. Uh, I think obviously as you start to, to gain more material things, it's always easy to say, okay, I'm making progress, I'm getting ahead. But then at a certain point you'll look back and realize, wow, I've been chasing this thing so single-mindedly I've lost all the things that really mattered and I think that again that's a cycle that we see happen in an individual's lifestyle and also on a, a society or a country's um, I think especially for developing countries um, like Dominica like other Caribbean islands like a lot of places I hope that it also kind of like sparks this idea and question about development and not to just take um, these western models as like that's it, we need to just latch onto that, but question a little bit more and realize there's definitely great things from these models that exist. There's also flaws and as countries that are quote unquote behind or haven't you know, implemented all of those things yet, we can pick and choose and try and take, try and take what, what works in, um, in some developed countries and try and preserve what we have and haven't lost yet, which other places may have. Absolutely. That's really, really well said, man. I, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, and as we were chatting, I, I looked up where Dominica was and I'm like, Oh my goodness, man, you're out in the middle of freaking yeah. ocean. No, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 scrapers, man. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I think everything that you said and shared is, is super spot on. Is there anything else that you wish that I'd asked you or you'd like to discuss before we close it out? I think that was a pretty good in-depth um, conversation. The only thing that comes to mind recently, I read um, John Perkins' book, and we, it was talking basically about a life economy versus a death economy. The book was called Touching the Jaguar. And there's another book um, called Less is More, I think by Jason Hickel, uh, about degrowth economics. And these are both things I'm going to look into a little further, basically trying to see if, is it capitalism and the system as it is that is inherently no good? Or are there sort of other versions to it that maybe can be implemented? Um, but all in all, I think great chat. Pleasure being on here. Um, I should just say the, um, the film is available at uncivilizedfilm.com with a Z and um, across social media at uncivilizedfilm. So that's about it. Awesome, man. Well, you know, you dropped an epic uh, final thought of life economy versus death economy, because that's a huge topic right there. And 
I feel like, uh, you know, with looking at what's been going on, there's this huge attack on capitalism, right? Well, it's predatory capitalism, right? If you, if you're in a village with something very tiny and somebody is working their butt off to provide, I don't know, baskets, you know, one of my native American teachers was a basket weaver and then gets resources. Great, right? Great to provide value, but you don't do it at an expense of causing harm to other people getting ahead, right? And so it's these distinctions that we want to, um, you know, be aware of because what the what the end game is, as they keep talking about, you know, basically communism, you know, it's like everybody gets a little bit. Well, that's when you're on the government. That's when the government provides for you. You've forgotten how to provide for yourself. You can't go right. opt out. You know what I mean? And so when we're aware of these distinctions, um, it's important. And when we're looking at uh, Wall Street and the big bankers, that's not communism. That's people being... Um, con artists and thieves and robbers you know really right. doing it on purpose and creating massive harm you know wealth can come and capitalism can come from very hard work from contribution to community but we need to install the integrity of values don't do it at the cost of pillaging the planet don't do it at the cost of the expense of a human being or you know uh, over over um reach of resources you know what i mean Be, being respectful of the uh, of all the resources. So I really love that concept. And I feel like we could, you know, dive into that because yeah, just life economy versus death economy. And I think Walter Russell talks about life affirming, you know, are these are these life affirming principles, virtues and actions, and we need to have responsibility for ourselves, um, our community and also our vocation and our work and our businesses. And in this fictitious system that we have in the world, right, where we got these big cities, everybody's working a job, but for what? You know what I mean, what is the purpose of this job? What is it actually yeah. doing? What is it actually providing? So then we become a worker and to spread that out, right? But if you've, if you've created something that makes people's lives better, and then you have a bunch of workers creating that thing that makes people's lives better, you're right. contributing to this solution. It could be as simple as like a, a pocket knife or a fishing, yeah. right? You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, this yeah. is like, this is actually a tool that helps. And so you're in alignment with integrity and values and, and things like that. Do you want to, do you want to add on to that? I just think that that's yeah, an, yeah, yeah. So an amazing discussion. I, it, it brings up the question though, will in, in any kind of system where there's stronger people and weaker people or richer people and poorer, is there any way that we can trust that people on their own will sort of live with integrity and make these correct decisions or does there have to be sort of some sort of mandate which again would be like a would be you know government interference and control to make that happen someone did say that you know when when we were talking about predatory capitalism he was saying well capitalism that isn't predatory predatory is like um you know, thinking of like a communism, a, a u- communist utopia, you're saying it's just, it's not going to happen. Even if the principles are there, it's not going to happen. I'm undecided. I'm, I'm curious. One interesting um, example that I do think of is there's a co-op in Spain. It's either called Mondragon or Mondragoon. And it's this co-op where the, the um, person who's earning the most earns a ratio to the person that earns the least. So not that everyone earns the same, but if I'm moving up to at a certain degree, then I carry this person at the bottom with me. And if we, if we think about it in terms of community, then, and we think of that in a small community, then that seems to make sense to us. But then when we start thinking about big societies, we're like, well, I'm this kind of person and I'm putting in this amount of work, so I deserve this and that kind of person doesn't. And it's interesting to see how something like that would relate to a larger country. I think it even brings up the question of are large countries viable or at the end of the day, does everything sort of break down back to communities on a scale that our human brains can deal with and where we have accountability for all the people that we know? Yeah, you bring up a lot of great points. And I I agree with what you're saying. Like the systems is is hard, right? And people intrinsically can be very greedy. And, you know, the more I've kind of looked at what's going on and I look at the United States constitution, um, they really knew what they were doing because when they try to establish it, they realize that people in power or in history, they want more power Then you get these corrupt people in there. Right. And so all of a sudden it starts to feel good. You know what I mean? And then you're like, all right, I need a little bit more. And then, so you, you combine that idea with uh, the second book you said is like living with less. I can't remember what the title was, but uh, simple living. Right. And so first we need to create that culture of value and integrity. 
you know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. however those checks and balances work, I don't know if there is a perfect system, right? You can't say capitalism is all good or all bad. You can't say communism is all good or all bad. Um, yep. But we just know historically through communism is the most amount of deaths. Um, because yep. usually in communism, it's a one dictator that wants to control things. Um, and that's just one of their tools of using it. But everybody be being taken care of, of course, you know what I mean? Everybody is down with that. Let's take care of everybody. Let's make sure everyone has food, water, shelter, then opportunity for great education and growth. You know what I mean? And, but, you know, then historically it's funny because a lot of what's going on in the States is this conversation. I never really got into it. Um, but now it kind of keep coming, coming up to the forefront. Um, but the thing is we are created unequal, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like well, people have different strengths, uh, different weaknesses. Somebody might create something great. That's a benefit to all let them have that. But then when you go into that thing, like, uh, you know, Facebook and Jeff Bezos and what's going on there, wiping out all the small systems, that's what they're doing, right? Why can Walmart be open, but no mom and pop shop can, that's a huge issue. Right. And so that's kind of just, you know, creating these, um, these issues when you got like, maybe a guy ran a shoe store for 50 years, hooking people up, you know, and then, you know, or even barber shops. I got a, you know, I got an amazing barber where I'm from and, you know, he could franchise that another good, you should, you should be successful. You have a great business. Um, so it's, it's, it's challenging to say like the one model fits all. And I think where we really, uh, figure this out is through education, through integrity, right? Like being okay with what we have, not learning, not to be greedy, but in, in the Western culture, Canada, us, we have this whole media system designed to indoctrinate people for more, more money, more cars, more flash, more fame. And so then they're willing to um, act out of integrity to get the material object. So if we're taught in, in our cultures, in our communities to be an integrity, to be a good human, to be honorable, uh, valuable, then we're not going to have that issue. Um, obviously, there's going to be some bad eggs, but I feel like it really uh, it goes into the community first and then the checks and balances. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If we can set up a system that we look like, OK, cool, uh, this makes checks and balances. Um you know, then, then we'll see, okay, you know, th- this makes sense. We'll know it's true, you know, and they, when yeah. it's like, okay, this is the best system we have for now. It's not going to fix every problem for every person, but you know, it makes common sense. And I think we can get, we can use the best of all systems, kind of like uh, Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do with martial arts, right? Mm-hmm. There's good things from boxing and kickboxing and jujitsu and all that kind of stuff. Let's just take the system that works and uh, create a framework of freedom. You know what I mean? Free, I think it, was a, it comes down to autonomy and freedom. You know what I mean? And then where we get out of whack is this greed, but greed comes from materialism. You need a bigger house, you need a better car. And that's kind of seeded in us. And I feel like that's really the root of this thing. And now with everybody actually losing so much of their livelihood, it's come back to food, water, shelter would be great with amazing people um, and an awesome community. People are starting to really resonate with that idea rather than working 60, 80 hours a week to get more stuff, to be alone in a house you can barely afford. Like in Canada, there are millions of dollars in our major city. Now it's like, you need to be both of your, you know, people making 200 grand a year just to get into like a house in Toronto and Vancouver, you know, it's absolute insanity. Yeah. So just a couple of things to, to touch on that. I think you're absolutely right. And I think like uh, Russell Brand has talked about it a lot, but just that there needs to be essentially a spiritual component to the the change if we want to see any sort of real change. I think interesting as well in the West and maybe other places where at a certain time before the, the this was the domain of the church, as the church has become less popular, then it's like, well, now something else has needs to fill and maybe even has a better chance to fill um, some of this like sort of like spiritual teaching and integrity and and all this kind of stuff. I'd also say I would hope to see what could be really exciting is to see experimental communities. So communities that that decide, you know what, this isn't working for us. We're going to set up and we're going to set our own rules and we're going to see and we can sort of run these experiments, see what works, see what doesn't, gather the data and then overall start piecing together, you know, where we want to go. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. There are some that exist like Arco Santi and your eco villages, you know, um, I heard there's yeah. one place in India as well. That sounds super fascinating. And really what it requires is participation. You know what I mean? Uh, it's hard to say one size fits all and, and one thing is the best or the worst, but uh, yeah, I think we'll get there with community and intention, you know, community. Yeah. And, and like you, I think that's brilliant. Just the spiritual component. 
you know, yeah. and that's, that's, that's the missing key. It has to be run on uh, values and understanding and uh, yeah. And fairness. And I love life economy, you know, that, that for me really sums yeah. it up, but uh, yeah, 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 man, yeah. that's amazing. Well, dude, I, I highly recommend people check out the documentary. I only said, I just saw the preview and I was like, Oh my God, this is nuts. Like this guy's definitely got to come on. What a, like a wild man. That sounds amazing. Something that I'd love to do. And um, you know, super cool that you had that experience and I'm glad you survived it. That must've been, uh, I can imagine transformational and also terrifying at some times going through it. But um, you know, the message that you're sharing is, so important because it's balanced, you know, it's a balanced approach and, and there's a lot of themes in what the world is going through right now. And if we touch on a crisis in these major cities, we don't have the community backdrop. We don't have that knowledge. Yeah. So all of us need to reconnect with uh, nature, where our food comes from, um, with our neighbors, you know what I mean? To be helpful. And uh, cause we're in these very, very interesting times where we need integrity support community contribution you know all the good stuff all the simple simple yeah, simple the ways fundamentals the fundamentals yeah exactly you know, we got we got we got too greedy you know right yeah. like like you said with your papaya story just like oh thank you yeah um, this is amazing you know i got a papaya today <laughs> exactly <laughs> right <laughs> that's it that's it right there yeah oh man i love it well thanks so much for your uh work and coming on the show man it was a real pleasure and and one more time just drop your website for the listeners yep so the film is available at uncivilizedfilm.com that's uncivilized with a z and also across social media at uncivilized film awesome Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, everybody, for watching. As you know, the censorship is not so leave a review, share it, uh, become a member uh, at the Academy. Uh, you can do it for free or by donation, and uh, you get free and uncensored episodes as long as I'm on YouTube, which we'll see how long that goes. <laughs> so thanks for watching. See you in the next one.